Welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. Yes, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. It's the time of gratitude, harvest celebrations, and finding friends and family around the dinner table. The light is changing and holidays are near. And in this hour, we want to share our personal favorite fall and winter meals and recipes, and of course, the stories that made those dinners so exceptional. Table Talk, Favorite Recipes for the Winter Season, our topic here today on An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. I read this story the other day, and Helga, you're going to love this, but it, it seems like, you know, the interesting thing when I was reading this story, it seems like I always come back to the Germans who are so innovative and, and so ahead of the, the curve on so many things, especially environmentally. And I read this story about... I, I love this. You come back to Germans, I come back to produce. There you go. So See, we kind of meeting we, in the middle. It's, it's nice. kind of like, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, Rumi and Rudevig. Yes, yes, the brotherhood. <laughs> we're the almond brothers. <laughs> we're the, we're, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. So that German supermarkets have overwhelmingly demanded that the German Poultry Association stop using GMO oh, GMOs, feed for yes. both eggs and poultry. Now, the interesting thing is, is it's only a recent thing that happened where the German Poultry Association actually started using GMO feed. But they, they went to the supermarkets and they said, there isn't enough GMO-free soya. We have to worry about contamination. And there's also this legal uncertainty. So we can't provide you GMO-free fed chickens. And so the supermarkets went along for for a little bit up until now, because it's only February of this year that that happened. But when they researched it, they found a different story. They found that when they talked to Brazil and the authorities in the Brazilian <laughs> agricultural community, plenty that there was plenty of GMO-free <laughs> feed in the system to supply Europe's needs. And so the supermarkets banded together and they said, absolutely, we will not accept these chickens. And soy. And, and and so <laughs> there will be no more GM-fed chickens in the marketplace in Germany. And this is for conventional eggs and conventional poultry? Yeah, yeah this, has, really? allow it. this right, has nothing to do with the organic law. This wow. is a general consumer demand on rejecting GMOs ever since the labeling took place. I mean, it, you're hard-pressed to find in the most average supermarket that has little to no organic fare, you would be hard-pressed to find a GMO product. It's that extreme. So labeling does create so much, or did in this case in Europe, create so much consumer awareness that GMO feet is no longer allowed and people rejected it. And it was the, I think it was led by the two largest supermarket chains, Rewe and Aldi. They supply, you know, a fair 20% of all the food, those two chains alone. 
of all the foods to Germans. So when they step up and say, you know, we, we get enough feedback that that's no longer accepted practice, they have the power to research, prove people wrong, and then change it. It's not the first time, actually, that they demanded mm. certain mm. behavioral changes, packaging, whatever, you know, people said could not be done. They said this will be done come, you know, January 1st. Mm -hmm. So this is great. Mm. <laughs> it's great news. And it does You're bring up this. right now. Yeah, the it's just pride the awareness. It. I was just in Germany a couple of months back, and the first little food booth at the Frankfurt airport was all bio. It's called bio. That's the equivalent of organic. And even my parents, if you look at their tea sortiment at home and assortment, they, they drink bio tea. It's kind of not because of me. It has really become kind of that's what they like and that's what they like best. And my uncle and, and I went for dinner and he has seen so many animal cruelty videos that he does not go to any restaurant anymore that can't tell him exactly where the animals are from. So there's a level of awareness in Europe and especially Germany has always been very aware due to some food crisis and food scandals that people paid attention to the quality of their food, the Reinheitsgebot of beer and the dilution of wine, and that's a cultural staple with antifreeze years and years and years back. So the, the, the level, the sharpness of awareness is just really exceptional in Germany. And, you know, listening to you, you know, you would think, okay, uh, the young, that the younger generation, you know, 20s would be the, 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 the leaders in that. But now I'm hearing you that it's just, it's, uh, you know, broad base over yeah. all German society. My uncle is 77. He said, if they can't tell me where the animal is from, we're not going to eat it. Culture shift. Culture shift happens. And, and so we, as, as you will, as you've heard, if you've been listening to the shows lately, is you know that we did a retail seminar. And these are some of the topics that we brought up is the power of retailers and their, and their power to be the change makers in society. So uh, Germany's getting it started and we're going to keep it going over here. Mm -hmm. And yeah. to be advocates for their consumers. When the retailers have a relationship with their consumers and they know what their consumers want, the power to change the system mm -hmm. is really power. It's really powerful. Yeah, that's what leadership looks like. You're listening to an organic conversation. Thanks for bringing that to our attention, Mark. Mm -hmm. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palmar. And our topic in this hour, we're staying with food, is table talk, favorite recipes for the winter season. We will share our favorite meals and recipes and the stories that accompany them in this hour of an organic conversation. This is usually the time for the holistic bite. I just like to feed in the audio. He just likes working yeah. the music on all he the really sections. Does. But it yeah. feels like a gigantic holistic, holistic bite. Kind the of. Entire, it kind it's a of recipe, is. it's yeah. a story, food it's health. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. So why don't we start off with you? Oh, Sita. I would be so happy to start off. Well, <laughs> you know, we were tossing ideas back about what we wanted to do for the holiday season. And particularly, this is a time when people talk a lot more about food. And, you know, in, in, several weeks ago, we had a conversation about when my sister came to visit and she was having dinner or lunch and she was just talking about how much or how different it is to have a conversation with me about food than the people in her community, just because it's so loquacious. There are so many places it can go because talking about food is what I do. So 
even if you are not somebody who talks about food day in and day out, 365 days a year, this period of time, it's really concentrated mm -hmm. because this period of time, we're sharing more meals with the people that we love. And so we're a lot of thought goes into what we create to share with people. And I think that's why it becomes a dialogue. Well, and you know, also see to listening to that is, I don't know if it's when, like if you cook outdoors, there's a smell from cooking outdoors. <laughs> But when you walk into a house and the house has been closed up and you've got garlic or onions be on the stove or something baking in the oven, your whole demeanor changes, right? When you walk in, you could have had a rough day at work and you walk in and you go, oh, okay, what's going on here, yep. right? Yep. It's a game changer. Yeah, even at parties, you can have the most beautifully decorated living room. Most people gather in the kitchen. Yeah. It's just it's, it's such it's a phenomenon. True. It's such a phenomenon. It's like at the end of the day, everyone gathers around the kitchen table, mm -hmm. not you know, where the couches are and where it's comfy. There's something really deeply rooted in us. And it's interesting. There's travel. There's sports. People can connect on all kinds of levels or through all kinds of stories but i really think food is the most connecting element of all around the world it's that's when we sit down and stop and share and have recipes and tradition and family and health and flavor and everything that you that possibly could go on in life goes on around food especially with somebody else and food there's not much else other than maybe travel where you have some sense walking through a marketplace or so where you can share a story and somebody can relate, but really over food and, and through food. It's the most connecting element. And it was really fun for us to start diving into our memories of, of what holiday meals, what fall meals and winter meals could really be discussed here because there are so many to choose from. So we've all kind of picked favorite standout memories of food and recipes for food. And so <laughs> I'm going to go ahead. Yours is a good one. No, Yours we actually got to really take one. a quick break okay, and then let's then. start with you. Let's tease the audience a little more. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Volkay. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Our topic in this hour is table talk. And we already started favorite recipes for the winter season. We will share our three plus favorite meals and the stories that came with it. That and more on an organic conversation here today. Stay tuned for more. Are you a chef, have a catering business or planning a party or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Table Talk, favorite recipes for the winter season. That is our topic in this hour. As we are looking back at our childhood, pick out the most favorite stories around food. 
and our favorite meals and recipes. And Sita, why don't we start with you? Oh, I would be so happy to start. You look like it. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, if I close my eyes, I can almost feel like I'm reliving the experience of waking up on Thanksgiving morning, and I can already hear the clinks and the clatters coming from the kitchen. My mom would get up so early to get started. She's already got like three apple pies made, and she's in the middle of making the vegetarian <laughs> loaf. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it, it's amazing how much was already done. The kitchen already had so many aromas. My dad's peeling apples, and my, my sisters and brothers are arriving, and they're all bringing the ingredients to make whatever dish they committed to making. And you're just getting up <laughs> I, so these particular memories are when I came home from college and oh, okay, I used to sleep okay. in very 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 late but I love to get up and help mm-hmm. and so um, you know one of my sisters would arrive and she would have all the ingredients to make cherry cheesecake because it was one of her favorite things it's one of my dad's favorite things so that they would make cherry cheesecake and have it with um, Thanksgiving dinner and another one of my sisters would make the stuffing and then there was always kind of like who's going to make the green bean casserole everybody loves the green bean casserole and traditionally which is kind of a funny word but or classically making green bean casserole is one of the easiest things to do because it comes from cans (laughs) (laughs) so delicious so simple who's going to make the green bean casserole so this has kind of lived with me all of these holiday seasons and I remember years later we were putting together the grocery list for what we were going to be bringing to the house to make Thanksgiving dinner and so I said don't forget we need like six cans of green beans and three cans of cream of mushroom soup my uncle looks at me and he says aren't you a chef now I would have thought you had a better way of making green bean casserole the than fingers out of a up. Can. By the way, the whenever, whenever she means something, the, the index <laughs> finger goes up and starts moving around in the air. So you know she's serious. It was a real aha moment for me because I had never stopped to question my traditions. You know, this this is a traditional holiday meal for me and my family. And the flavor really conjures up these beautiful memories. So I had to say, am I willing to give up this flavor and really take on the responsibility of finding an alternative that's close enough to still give me that experience, but also closer to what my values are now, which have to do with cooking with whole foods. Mm -hmm. And that's where this recipe journey began. And at that point, I was actually eating vegan. So I wasn't even doing the cream of mushroom soup that comes from a can, although I was happy to make sure that everybody else had that as an option and I just wasn't going to have anything. So then I thought, well, why don't I make an alternative to the green bean casserole for myself and my cousin who doesn't do dairy because he has a dairy allergy and found this recipe for peas and chanterelle mushrooms that seemed like it was starting to bring the flavors together. And as I was cooking from this recipe, I started getting all of these like flavor insights from the green bean casserole that I started to infuse into this impromptu recipe as I was going along. And so the thing that's that's most exciting for me about this and this approach to all of the recipes we're going to talk about is that this is a starting place where you can branch off to anything that excites you, anything that you want to do. So I'm going to give you the basic recipe as it stands for me today for my whole foods ingredients, green bean casserole. And I start by sauteing leeks. 
until they're translucent. And one of the things I like about leeks from the onion family, as opposed to shallots or onions, although you could use all of them or you could use a mix of all of them, are that leeks get really creamy. There's something about the way they break down that they just get melt in your mouth creamy. When you cut them, they do have that milk in the that's right? true. When you cut and you see them in the rounds. That's you see true. The milk in yeah, there, right? absolutely. So you saute the leeks until they get translucent and really creamy. And then you add sliced mushrooms. And you can do a combination. You can use fresh mushrooms. You can So you could get cremini and shiitake. Maybe you have chanterelles in your area right now. Or maybe you can get, I don't know if maitake are still around where you are. But you could do a combination of fresh mushrooms. You could buy dried mushrooms and rehydrate them like porcini and black trumpet. And then when you add your mushrooms, add either some dried or some fresh thyme. Thyme is one of those herbs that classically pairs with mushrooms. There's something so earthy and warmy and herbaceous about it. And I add some tamari. Mm. And this is something that actually we educated when we did our Passion, Purpose, and Produce seminar, which is about culinary connections and how mushrooms naturally have L-glutamate in them, which is that it, it creates that sense of umami, that that taste that you've just had protein that satiates you. And soy has that also. And soy is an ingredient in tamari. It's one of the main ingredients. So the combination of the two is very satisfying. It tastes like you had protein. So I add a little bit of tamari, lots of black pepper, and some sea salt to taste because the tamari is very salty to begin with. And I saute the mushrooms until they're tender. And that's the point where I add either green beans, which you can add whole, you can have them, you can shred them. However, you grew up with green beans in your green bean casserole, recreate it with fresh green beans. Or you can do peas, which I found to be a really delightful alternative to green beans the very first time I set out to make my green bean casserole alternative. And cook them until they're bright green and still snappy so they're not mushy. And that is the basic recipe. And from there, you can go any direction you want. If you don't do dairy, you can add white wine. If you do do dairy and you want to create that creaminess, add a roux, which is basically the combination of flour and your fat. So if you're using olive oil, you do olive oil and flour. If you're using butter, you can do butter and flour. And then that will allow so that when you add milk, whether it's a a cream or a nut milk, if you're doing a dairy-free version, that it will um, thicken up and make it nice and thick and dense and creamy. And then at the end, you can top it with crispy onions, which you can buy organic now in the store. There is a brand of organic crispy onions. Or you don't have to buy crispy onions right out of the package. You can actually make them Mm -hmm. by slicing your shallots or your onions, pressing them between two towels to remove the moisture, and then tossing them in some rice flour and doing either a bake or a deep fry. Now that's a much more complicated recipe, but you would get the more authentic flavor. You can also top it with sliced almonds to get your crispiness. So I encourage you to go experience the flavors of green bean casserole in a new way this fall. I have to try it. <laughs> I have to try it. And, and the thing is, is that Helga, growing most anybody growing up in America in like 1950 or 1960, this magazine article was published about using a, a name brand kind of mushroom soup mm-hmm. and things like this. And everybody, it became a staple at Thanksgiving from that point on. And I'm not sure if you've had it or not, or if it was in Germany or if, if, if they had something like that. But what you're talking about is like, oh my goodness, it, it 
it's like now we're talking about taking those favorites. And it reminds me of our, our good friend Casey Coletti, how she looks at recipes mm-hmm. when, when someone says she can't, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Casey's a famous baker and pie maker and cake maker and can do just about anything with any ingredient to, well, I don't know about any ingredient, but she does some amazing things uh, when people when people said she couldn't do that before. And the thing for me is, if you were going to do nut milk, is there a particular one? Would you use a milder one? Would you use a hazelnut or would you use an almond? You know, because they each have their own little unique taste because I use both of them for my protein shakes. Is there a particular one that you would probably try? The correct answer to that question is yes. Yes. (laughs) I did that for you, Mark. That's always your answer. Really, if you're going to do a store-bought milk, make sure you get something unsweetened because the sugar will really affect it if you're using store-bought. If you're making it at home, though, oh my gosh, this is where it, it gets even more fun. The creamy nut milk I've ever made and I use it when I make polenta and my guests never know that this does not have heavy cream in it was a combination of cashew nut and macadamia nut because the fats were so high. Now hazelnut I think is a brilliant suggestion because hazelnut and mushrooms are so good together. So if I were to do a hazelnut milk with this I would probably cut it with something else like an almond or a cashew but I think that that subtlety of the warmth that you get in the combination with the mushrooms Oh, that would be just to die for. So interesting. Casey Caletti, of course, Life of Pie. Check it out. We had a show with her a few months back. Um, a great. few years back, actually. It was our Thanksgiving episode, I think, two years ago, Helga. Yeah, a few months. Like <laughs> 30 months back. Yeah. Just check it out. Life of Pie. Great, great episode. I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you guys really being excited about green bean casserole and I'm getting a little homesick in a funny way because I'm realizing that the recipe itself has only 50% of the value. It's really the other 50% comes from the story you attach to it. Mm. And green bean casserole doesn't tell me any or doesn't say anything in my heart. There's no, we didn't have it. I'm sure actually there's a very similar green bean dish in Germany that is called something else. But green bean casserole, almost as a term of happiness and holidays, doesn't exist in my vocabulary or in, in my memory. So it's interesting to how to see how both of you are reacting to that as a complete, clear, cellular thing of U.S. existence. And I'm like, yeah, sounds yummy, but I don't... <laughs> well, and I have to say, to contrast just how foreign it is to you, the other day I was searching on the internet and I started typing the word green, G-R-E-E, and the first search result was green bean casserole and really? I had and I had not searched for it prior so wow. it's that yeah, time see? of year and it is that quintessential totally. to the kitchen That's table That's a great word yeah it's completely quintessential it's as quintessential as for most people turkey It is. And Thanksgiving. It's like there's an immediate Thanksgiving, two words. They would say turkey and green bean or maybe cranberry sauce and green bean casserole, but it's that much. And there's no affiliation affiliation (laughs) for me in in that. Well, this is the perfect segue. (laughs) This is the perfect segue. Exactly. You are listening to an organic conversation. Our focus in this hour is table talk, favorite recipes for the winter season. We are obviously sharing our all-time favorites combined with the memories that created those meals and the fondness of it all in this hour. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And we will be back with more, and I guess me me next. You next. Me next. <laughs> Coming up in just a minute. We'll take a quick break, but stay tuned for more. 
Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helper. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Ho, ho, ho. Table talk. Favorite recipes for the winter season. Our focus in this hour of an organic conversation, we are sharing our favorite recipes and the stories that came with it and why we still remember those amazing meals. For Sita, clearly green bean <laughs> casserole and... I would assume we will find that recipe on Facebook. Mm. That's facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation for more information on all of our shows and for tips and tricks and recipes around green living and healthy organic food. Again, facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. And so, I guess Helga, you were saying that this, <laughs> my my recipe or my memory meal. It sounds wonderful. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I feel no criticism, but, but I do no feel. no emotional evokeness exactly. that I can, it's really amazing. It's, it's foreign I didn't to you. expect that. Let's I thought, see if oh you my God, have something how exciting. That. Yeah, my story starts way earlier uh, as a German tradition after the Second World War there wasn't much food around, and the only food that was around was uh, kind of made-up meals for the holidays, some kind of meat source, or predominantly carp. Carp became a really fancy Christmas thing because it was a freshwater algae eater. There were lots of ponds uh, in and around northern Germany, specifically in Hamburg, where I grew up, where you find carp. And it's a really fatty fish, so it makes you really full quickly. So you don't need much carp to feed four or six people. And the preferred way of cooking it, which I still don't understand, was blue, carp blue, which is basically just steaming it for an hour. So it becomes this really rubbery texture. In order to get away with that mishmash of holiday cuisine for, for Christmas, because there's no one definable meal. Maybe now a German would say there's goose, which was much later when people could afford it. But between carp and goose and frankfurter sausages and fondue, cheese or vegetable or meat, or all of the above in a wild mix, there isn't really a clearly defined holiday meal uh, that I would remember as a tradition that we would do every year. It was kind of whatever, whatever we decided. So I was nine or 11 years old, I remember, and to get away from that mishmash, I decided to cook for my parents. <laughs> that is so Helga. It was get a total. Away, away from this right now. Yeah. It was a total reaction to. I'm no longer taking chances here. I'm going to cook, and so I was really uh, just a little boy, and I insisted on cooking unassisted and using my own money for it. So I had about twenty marks, 
And I walked to the store and got some vegetables, not even really knowing what I would cook. But I knew it would it would be around some kind of meat source. It needed something substantial. And back then, having a piece of meat was a big deal, of course. So I talked to the butcher, and I, he knew me by name. My, my mom would shop there, and I'm sure he gave me a break in the price. But he said the really the only piece that would feed four people, two adults and two kids, me and my sister, would be a brisket, with, which is the breast piece. You mean on your of, budget? On, my, on, on your budget. On my budget, yeah. exactly. Yeah. What he could sell me for, you know, 10 or 12 marks that I have left, 15 marks at the most, would be a nice piece of brisket. Brisket being the German word is Bruststück. It's the it's the it's a piece of the breast. It's usually a piece that farmers don't really sell anymore. If you look in uh, at supermarkets, you get your classic steak cuts. And this is, I know, several grass-fed organic beef farmers in the area where we are in the San Francisco Bay Area. They consider this almost a waste product. That nobody knows how to cook it and nobody knows uh, nobody eats it because of that. And so you can get it for you know a dollar fifty or two dollars a pound. And so if you do it right, it's an amazing piece of meat. And then the beautiful beautiful thing about that recipe is it takes care of itself. And you do it the day before, which I always have come to love, that you prepare something that is basically done. And when it's time to cook, you just pop it in and you don't even need to add anything, in this case, during the time of cooking to it. And you pull it out and it's, it's complete. It was so good <laughs> that my dad did not believe that I did all this and cooked it. He believed my mom helped me. My mom believed my sister helped me. And Mark, when we talked about this before, you said my sister knew that my dad didn't help because it was so good. <laughs> so it's it's really, if you do eat meat, it's one of the most ideal and easy and simple and beautiful and tasty things you, you can possibly do. You take a bit, depending on how many people you want to feed with it, and if it's a main course or just a little side, uh, a three to six pound piece of brisket contact your farmer directly if you have one in your area you will really find that they have a freezer full potentially because it's not a piece that you can find but even at your supermarket if they have brisket it should be in the absolute lowest price range compared to all other pieces of meat and that makes it so attractive you put it in a bowl or pot ideally to make it really easy the pot you're cooking it in the next day so a slow cooker or Römertopf, which is kind of a clay pot, mm -hmm. an oval-shaped clay pot. What is, what's the equivalent here? Well, I mean, I think probably pot? the equivalent would be an enamel cast iron. like Or that. Sure, yeah. This is yeah. really clay, rough clay. You can feel mm -hmm. the, the roughness of the clay. But we call it Römertopf. It's something where you put all the stuff in at the same time. And miraculously, even after hours of cooking, everything is still al dente, even though they all take individual cooking times otherwise. But you put that piece of meat in there. You use a half a bottle of red wine. I used, I believe, kind of the equivalent of a Zin, of a Zinfandel, something with a little spice perhaps. A cup of salt, three quarters cup of salt, quite a bit of salt, and then water to make sure it's fully submerged. So you can put the salt in first and the red wine and you make sure the salt is dissolved to have a little bit of a brine. And then you just put the meat in and you fill up enough water. And that's it. That's what you do. And you let it sit there in this brine overnight, at least, if not 24 hours. If you do it at three in the afternoon, that's perfect because then you can just let it sit there at three in the afternoon until the next afternoon, which is when you want to cook it. So everything is done. At that point, you drain the brine completely. You add the other half bottle of red wine to it. 
add a half a cup of olive oil, up to one cup, quite a bit of olive oil, depending again of the size of the meat. And you add some veggies, potatoes, carrots, shallots, onions, leeks, celery, even maybe some mandarins, whatever really feels good. I know we had some orange slices and some mandarins, if I remember, they were smaller. So I just as as whole pieces, you just throw in the mandarins, you peel them and you put in individual pieces. And then some clove and some herbs and pepper and some salt, light on the salt, because the salt overnight broke down the cellular wall of the meat. And so you don't need, it's still sitting in the meat to some degree. You only need a little bit of salt. And you cook that in the slow cooker for two to three hours. And you can unwrap gifts meanwhile and do all kinds of, or set the table. You can do also kinds of other things, but it's pretty low heat. I don't remember exactly turn it, what the equivalent would be, turn it 50 degrees maybe, like a slow simmer. And two or three hours later, Voila. Uh, you almost can't overcook it, which is, that's why it's called miracle pot or slow cooker. What's really beautiful about it is that you have the meat and you have the veggies and everything is still kind of al dente, perfectly cooked, but you have the meat and the veggies with it. You don't, there's nothing else you need to do. And so the brisket, because of the salt brine overnight, will literally fall off your fork. You can, you don't need a knife for that meal. That's basically the whole dish. It turned out beautifully, and I've done it a couple more times in my life, and it has never failed me. It's almost bulletproof. You can't go wrong. Whatever you add, whatever you don't really add, what veggies are in season, it doesn't really matter. It will, it will turn out exceptional. Well, Helga, I know you resurrected this recipe about a year ago because a, f a friend was asking for something. She said, I need, I need a, a main course for the family. They're coming over. I don't know what to make. And you said, oh, well, why don't you try this brisket recipe I invented when I was nine years old? And she's like, um, really? I'm not. He said, no, 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 really. It's just, just try it. Just try it. It was so good. Her daughters were like falling over it. It was so amazing that they requested that she make it again the following weekend. Oh, yeah. That's our best friend, Susan. Yeah. Shout out to Susan. And <laughs> <laughs> the salt brine overnight with the not, wine with, yeah. the, with mm -hmm. the red wine exactly there's something about the cellular breakdown from the salt and then the wine can really infiltrate it and it it turns out to be like a red wine stew almost gamey tasting without the you know some people really don't like game it doesn't have that mean game feel to it or, or, or taste to it but it's it's a really rich and super satisfying meal all the vegetables have like a little bit of touch of that flavor and then the olive oil you really only taste with the vegetables so it's like it's a miracle for me that every single vegetable has still has its own flavor everything has a little bit of olive oil hue to it and the meat is just perfectly cooked and it really takes an hour of preparing and 10 minutes of putting it in and 10 minutes of taking it out. That's it. There's nothing else required. That's my kind of cooking. And it's, <laughs> and it's a miracle that your culinary intuition was so strong at nine years old. Yes. I might have been <laughs> well, 11, I think that was his, dis, his distaste for carp was what, what, <laughs> he it, what was helped it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm doing something different. I don't care. I'm, I'm going to become Whatever a Whatever you need to avoid is right. Um, I, I might have been 11 because I know, I'm not sure if I bought the red wine, and I think you can only buy a red wine in Germany if you're at least 14 or 15 or something like that. But I was definitely smaller, <laughs> smaller than today. What a, You know what? And, the, and we do that in life, right? We do that where we go, you didn't do this. Yeah, right. right. You know, you ask somebody, it's like, you made this? Exactly. It's like disbelief. And yet, as opposed to going, wow, this is amazing. You were so incredible. Our first thing is, you didn't do this. And yeah, it's too good for you. Yeah. <laughs> so I just think that's such a sweet story. 
I can't wait to, to try it when you make that for me. Deal. So what are you making for us, Mark? What's your story? Well, let's... But why do we have uh, exactly. a break first? <laughs> <laughs> that was green bean casserole and brisket. And that's, of course, an organic conversation. Table talk. Favorite recipes for the winter season. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And in this hour, we are re-evoking our most fond childhood memories and uh, the meals that got us together and the recipes that created those meals, whatever that may be. Coming up next is Mark, and I can only assume it has nothing to do with vegetables. No, no <laughs> produce at all. <laughs> that and more when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Yes, it's about relationships and life itself. And this hour, we are talking about favorite recipes for the winter season, really table talk. We heard about green bean casserole out of the can and then later, not so much, the fresh whole food version from Sita and then a German tradition that then became almost a, an annual celebration brisket cooked by me as a 10 or 11 year old and now i'm almost certain we are heading into the world of vegetables again could be mark mark mukehi with his favorite story of the holidays well so winter <laughs> winter and fall are a couple of my favorite seasons and i love the food around here the roots and and the onions and when you start talking about leeks for some reason i think of leeks more in this time of year than i do even though spring is a great leek time so mine aren't childhood recipes. I was telling you beforehand, actually, I would go to those dinner tables. And yes, there was turkey and cranberry sauce and all that. And I loved it. But my main goal when I went to a, a holiday dinner or a wintertime dinner was to, was to get gravy. <laughs> and I would, I would load up my plate with as much potatoes as Single I could focus. and then create a volcano, take my spoon and create that volcano dip in the middle just so that I could hold as much gravy as that boat would put in there. <laughs> And that was that was my main reason for going to the dinner table. Now, green bean casserole held, had a high place up there and all the other things. But it's like, oh, I can make a meal on this and biscuits and this. Okay, yeah, great. All starch, all carbs, right? <laughs> all. What was it about gravy for you? Why? There's just that. I don't know. It's that so savory, satisfying. rich. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> totally. think what it is, it's kind of like you've talked about sometimes, Hug, and so have you, Sita, is – Growing up, there were certain things that you only had certain times oh, of year. More and more now, people just kind of go, oh, I want to have turkey, and they'll just cook a turkey, right? Mm -hmm. Well, we never did that. It was like if it was during the winter, it's like I associate turkey with winter, right? And so it was those types of things. And so that meant gravy. 
And yeah, so yeah, it's kind of like actually, the novelty of gravy. I mean, you can now find it even at natural food stores year round. But, yeah, you can buy it. But really, it's it's a yeah, it's a wintertime thing. Cranberry and, it's and gravy, savory, and it's hot, and it's so. Anyway, that wasn't what I was going to talk about, but that was a childhood. So a few years back, I was I was working in Boise, working with the Boise Co-op there. And there was a young woman there who was kind of who could just dance with me step for step on local produce and flavors. And I would say, you got to try this. This is awesome. She goes, mm, not quite ready yet. And I'd just be like, you know, like, are you kidding me? You know, and it's just like, who are you? And so I was staying at this bed and breakfast and they had a kitchen in it because I love staying at places that have kitchens. And so one night I said, you know, and she would she would make me coffee or cayenne and lemon ginger and all these things. And it's just like, okay, come over for dinner. I'm going to make I'm going to I'm going to impress you. Show you. Yeah, I'm going to show you. That's really I mean, and just kind of, you know, like this is just normal. And so I was like and she said, yes. And so the then, yeah, then I was like, okay, I just can't. I'm not just going to make this. So I went and I found, and I went to Fat Toad Farm, went to a blog they had, and they had this amazing delicata squash recipe. And then, I, and so I found this delicata squash recipe and then stuffed mushrooms and this salad that was really difficult to make, but was going to be yummy. Well, what I didn't realize is that in my playing was that I started on the squash, which needed to bake, but I wasn't really counting on all the time that the other things took. She arrived, we're talking, and I, I created this, uh, I took this recipe from Fat Toad Farms, and it was a really simple recipe, and basically you take delicata squash, you cut off the ends, and then you cut that delicata squash in half, take out the seeds, and then you cut them into quarter-inch pieces, like half rounds, and then you take that, and then you put it, and you mix it with olive oil. You melt olive oil ahead of time, and then you mix all the squash and some salt all together, and then you put it out, sea salt, and then you put it on even on a baking sheet. And then you just stick it in the oven for like 45 minutes or an hour, turning it every 10 to 15 minutes until the squash rings start getting in really increasingly crisp and caramelized. And they're just like delicata chips when they come out of there. And oh my goodness, that came out of the oven. And she started eating them and going, wow. And so I sat down and started eating them. And I forgot about making the salad. And then my mushrooms were sitting on the counter. And we never got to the rest. Of, I didn't finish the rest of the meal. Uh, we had a couple glasses of wine. We tasted that thing. She she went home, and I was like, okay, that's enough. And this recipe, if you try this recipe, which we'll post, it was such an amazing thing. It kind of stopped the process. And delicata squash, which is great for you. It's one of those squashes you can eat the skin. But it was that combination of coconut oil and that kind of sweet, nutty delicata squash, really down to that caramelized, crispy texture. It was just like... Wow. And anybody who I've made it for since then, that's been the same thing. They said, you've got to give me this recipe. And it's so it's so, just. So I, it was coconut exactly. oil. Exactly. I and wrote down olive oil. oil. I thought Coca- I could say no, olive oil. No, coconut, no, coconut oil. oil. Yeah. Okay. That's why you melted it in advance so that you could toss it with. Yeah. Oh, coconut oil and winter squash. Mm-hmm. And wow. sea salt. And, and little sea salt. That's yeah, it. Yeah, right. That's that, it. That's even easier. I mean, it's not a competition here, but that's even <laughs> easier than my recipe. <laughs> You wow. could do it. You could really? do it. No, I love that. I really love recipes where you have one or two steps, two or three ingredients. That's it. So this would qualify. Yeah, it would qualify for that. Coconut was, oil, sea salt, delicata squash, baked. And it was in about 400 degrees. I can totally mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to eat that right Yeah, me too. Right now. Now. I want to eat that right, right now. now. Um, <laughs> and the other thing that, that I'm bringing to the table is when I was uh, looking at changing my health and losing some weight and stuff, during some of my 
places where I was trying to eat lighter or, or not take in so many calories or make my calories work for me better is I realized that I could, if I put a sweet potato in the oven, right, then I'm getting complex, complex carbohydrates and I'm getting my antioxidants and all that stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm starting there. And then I would either saute or steam green, depending on how much time. If I sauteed, it was with garlic and things like that. And then I would put like a quarter of sliced avocado on top of a baked sweet potato with sauteed greens. And so you had that yummy fat factor of the avocado. You had that sweetness of the sweet potato. But a sweet potato isn't just sweet, right? It's got that kind of creamy sweetness. And then the greens just filled it out. And so now I actually associate that with fall and winter as an amazingly hearty breakfast. And just in this last six months or last year, I started some mornings adding eggs to it. I'd like just scramble up like a one egg with that mixture. It'll last with you all day. It's a great for you. And it's just, it's that total yummy factor that you're looking for that. Because a lot of times when you're trying to lose weight or you're on a fast or a cleanse or something that includes food, you often look at food like, oh, I wish I could have. Oh, I mm-hmm. wish I could have. And eating something like that, I never said that. It was like I could have eaten that every single morning. I mean, even the delicata squash, right? I, I would need to make it. But with a little bit of cinnamon and some nut milk in the morning, that's your cereal substitute if you wanted to start with it. And would veggie. be so tasty. I'm totally Especially hooked. coming out of the oven. Yeah. Oh. Well, okay. Wow. So that, <laughs> you, Mark. you got two things in one there mm-hmm. <laughs> with the sweet potato yeah. and the greens. Uh-huh. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. And not hard to make. That's that other th- thing that you were talking about, Helga. I mean, it takes, literally take sweet potato goes in the oven, mm-hmm. which I would do when I got up, right? I put the sweet potato in. I could even, while I was washing dishes or doing something, just steam some greens in like, what, three minutes or something yeah. like that pretty easily. And then slicing it up an avocado. If you wanted to make it easy, it's another one of those easy recipes you were talking about. Huh? Yeah, and warm, from fresh from the oven, either the sweet potato or the delicata squash, nice. But they also last in the fridge for three, four days. Yeah, you if could you re- cook just them re-heat, re-heat them up. Them uh-huh. Well, the delicata squash, Helga, when you said just put a little cinnamon on it, reminded me of another recipe that's really just like two steps. And that's taking an acorn squash and cutting it in half, removing the seeds, and then in that well where the seeds were, you add coconut oil and a little bit of maple syrup and some cinnamon and some nutmeg and you roast that in the oven just like that add some sea salt if you want it to be a little bit on the savory Mm. side Mm -hmm. and you can just eat it with a spoon right like that when it comes out of the oven or you can stuff it with wild rice and beans and sauteed greens and mushrooms and olives and whatever you want but it's versatile in that way you can eat it right out of the oven or you can stuff it wow and all that we promise on our website, facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation to help you get inspired about the holiday season. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Hilbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Table talk, our topic in this hour, table talk, favorite recipes for the winter season, our favorite recipes and the stories that came with it or through it. And Mark, I think we're sticking with green bean casserole and sweet potato and delicata squash as we are heading into our next segment. We're staying in the world of vegetables. Here's our very own Mark Mukehi and what's in season. That's rustle up some rutabagas there, partner. Um, so, 
again, at this time of the show, it is What's in Season. And, of course, on the line, we have Earl Herrick from Earl's Organic Produce, the voice of the produce market in San Francisco. And today, Earl, we've been talking about lots of our favorite winter and fall dishes. Sita talked Mm -hmm. about growing up with green bean casserole. And Helga talked about how he didn't grow up with green bean casserole (laughs) and how she made it into something that was, you know, more holistic and and more whole foods and still just as yummy. And then Helga talked about making brisket for his family when he was around 11 on a whole slow, uh, slow cook recipe. And then I talked about making delicata chips with coconut oil and then having sweet potatoes for breakfast in the morning. So I thought today we would include you in this, you know, fall and winter recipe fun and see mm. what see what you like to do this time of year. Oh, you know, it's fantastic to hear this delicata chip because for me a delicata represents one of the finest ingredients for a, a pie. Of course, pumpkin pie is, is a big favorite this time of year, but for me, the pumpkin doesn't really quite match what I want it to do. And butternut and delicata is what I've found to be the perfect ingredient to really get that deep, rich flavor for me, it's, it's a real simple recipe, and you can use, of course, you want to bake, bake it until it's soft, and then the ingredients can, are incredibly simple. You can have uh, any degree of, of a liquid, and, and you're talking about a dairy, but it doesn't have to be half and half or milk. It can be coconut milk, it can be hemp, hemp milk, and then you use the, the regular spices. And, of course, I like to use maple syrup as the sweetener, and those two squashes blend up really well. They're not stringy. What I've discovered, though, in one of our last, it was probably a couple months, maybe a month ago, we, we, we had a section on winter squash. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And for me, I was turned on to the butter cup. Sometimes I get confused with butternut and buttercup, but for me, what I find distinguished the butternut is brown like a peanut, and the buttercup is dark green. Mm-hmm. And I actually think, I haven't tried this yet in, in a pie, but I'm thinking by what I've read and what I've tasted just with rice, it's going to make a more intense and flavorful pie. So I'm I'm looking forward to really getting into that as this uh, season comes around. Well, wow. you know, Earl, nice. what you might be remembering is that during the, actually up until mostly just recently, is most of your pie filling was made from winter squash. It wasn't necessarily just made from pumpkin because there was more abundance of winter squash. And so they could fill in a lot of those different squashes and call it pie filling. So that that your memory senses might be right on track as far as mm-hmm. that familiarity there. You know, growing up Ohio, maybe that's what was going on there. Sure. <laughs> it does have um, so much to do with the spices, you know, the clove uh, and the allspice and the cinnamon and nutmeg. Yeah. No, and then you have an abundance of sweeteners, whether it's maple syrup or honey or even molasses. The choices are endless, and, and you know, you never have to be stuck with what you do or do not have in the kitchen. You can put a lot of different things in and create a new flavor every year. It's yeah, pretty great. You just cook the squash, you put it all in a mixer and a blender until it becomes a puree, and then you squeeze it into a pie form, and that's it? Yeah, you know, you want to take the seeds out. You want to cut it in half, take the seeds out. I put it face down with just a little bit of water or, or oil the pan, and, um, you know, it can be, depending on the size of the squash, anywhere a half an hour, 45 minutes, and you can just poke it with a fork and when it and when it naturally goes into the um, the meat of the of the squash, it's done. And then yeah, you just scoop it out, put it in a blender, uh, or maybe a, a mixer of some type, 
um, some 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 can be a little stringy and add whatever whatever fluid you're going to use, whether it's a dairy or a non-dairy, and the spices and the sweetener, and and then bam, you and you've already made that crust and it's already cooled, and you're ready just to pour that puppy in. And, and then that's it, or you bake it one more time? No, it's done, you, right? You bake it. You bake it one more time. It's, it's a real easy thing to do. The real challenge is, of course, the crust, and you can. You can have several lifetimes perfecting that one. That is yeah, true. Yeah, and I look forward to seeing your creation. If it's so easy to make, it would be. I'm really excited. <laughs> well, the filling certainly is. <laughs> and how uh, the, the, the the work is in the. Um, <laughs> this wonderful challenge of the crust. And Helga will make the delicata chips for you. Ooh, deal. That 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 would be exciting. Yes, it's a deal. squash party. Squash <laughs> off. <laughs> squash <laughs> off. Yeah. Thank you, Earl. Wow, mouth-watering. Oh, always a pleasure. Thank you for being on here. Thank you for sharing, and we'll look forward to talking to you next week. The holidays are here. And have a great one. You <laughs> Thanks. too. Bye, Earl. Bye, Earl. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Goodbye now. So good. The most delicious episode, I think. <laughs> I don't I'm even know where to really begin inspired. for dinner. Like this, I'm so I, excited. I I want to begin with all of it. Wow. Exactly. Oh, delicious. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us in this special scrumptious hour of an organic conversation. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash An Organic Conversation. Thank you for your contribution. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business since 1988. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helber and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.